What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Columbia Sportswear. It's snowing again, and that wind chill is killer. But you're not worried about that because you shop the Omni Heat Infinity Collection. It's warmth perfected with tiny gold dots that reflect your body heat inside and protect you from the cold outside. No snow or chilly temps can stop you now. Go out anyway. Shop the Omni Heat Infinity Collection now at Columbia.com slash infinity. The grade cricketer is a Twitter stream. It's about playing cricket at the grade level. It's a tough, mean, dirty, dirty business being a grade cricketer. A lot of cricketers, you know, that's all they know. They've mm. done it since they're 10 and they have a deep-seated fear of change. But the grade cricket is all about being the most alpha version of yourself as possible at all costs and at all times. I don't bat or bowl. I just feel a gully, count the number of dot balls in a row, sledge 15 yards, make me feel better about myself. Thanks, Thanks champ. champ. Oh, no, you called me champ. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Grey Cricketer Podcast. Well, the tournament has well and truly come to life as Bangladesh beat the Minnows, South Africa, and Pakistan finally defend 350 against England. We review the fourth grade match between Sri Lanka and Afghanistan before looking ahead to, to India's first match of the World Cup. Australia's Alpha Showdown against the West Indies. Vatushana Hantharaja is on the phone from the UK. Hashtag AskTGC. Looking back at looking back at Johnny Bairstow's headbutt. And yes, we'll probably mention two hundreds in a losing side as well. My name is Ian Higgins and I'm joined by Sam Perry in Melbourne. Pez, good morning to you. And uh, look, the World Cup's here. <laughs> good morning, Hugos. Lovely to be sitting in the car again here at 5.41am uh, in the morning. Uh, we've come a long way as ever. Yeah, it has sprung to life. Uh, it's nice to hear a couple of podcasts over in the UK reflect a bit of that energy. Uh, hard to go past Bangladesh's defeat of South Africa. Uh, just watching, I mean, that was an early game here in Australia. By early, I mean a 7.30pm start for those uh, listening overseas. But uh you know, every every run was cheered. You could hear the uh, the chanting in the stands, and there was a kind of palpable energy behind Bangladesh's performance. You know, it's so easy because we talk about prisms all the time to consider Bangladesh minnows. They are no longer minnows, really, are they? You know, Shakib uh, Al Hassan, uh, what a player! And you know, the, the big takeaway for Australia when it comes to Bangladesh is like, you know, Kev, big Kev, uh, Kevy Roberts. As, as Warney calls you, uh, bring them out here for some test matches, you know. And there's been some commentary, I think, about this, about, uh, you know, okay, well, now they're ready to play Australia. They've been ready to play Australia for a long time out here. Let's bring them out. Let's see if we can beat them. <laughs> it's not, it's not, it wouldn't be home and host, <laughs> you know. They played, they played really well, 330 for six against South Africa, who were, who are struggling? Uh, Mushfiqur Rahim with 28, uh, 28, 78. Pardon me. And Mustafiza three for 67. South Africa never really in the match. Uh, and I just noted Jonty Rhodes. I had a dog called Jonty once actually. Uh, oh yeah, he, he's died. Um, he uh, Jonty Rhodes says <laughs> now it's time to panic, which I like. I like that idea. 
You know, okay, let's panic now, collectively. And uh, panic they should because they're going to play India. We're going to talk about that a little bit later, but uh, obviously it makes complete sense that India have had an extra week off um, before starting the tournament as well. But, yeah. Yeah, it is It is unusual. Um, I noticed in the press conference yesterday that uh, Faf Duplessis, Alpha Duplessis, he said that uh, it's, not, it's not time, it's not time uh, to panic and uh, that this game, the third game of the series, uh, for them is not, um, is not make or break. It's not do or die. It's not a must win. Uh, which is interesting. It's also weird that yeah, South Africa are playing their third game to India's first game, mm. um, which is which is weird. But yeah, I mean, it, mm. it, it does. It really does feel like South Africa need to get something out of get something out of India game. I mean, they can be zero from three. Uh, also, cricket's not really a sport where you can get anything out of it. Yeah, yeah I love it. Really oh, look, 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 if we can take a result out of it, we'll be fine. Like a tie, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Just sit back, defend. You know, we might be able to snatch a tie. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Um, Bangladesh, though, I mean, I was sort of saying before the tournament that there's a few teams who can just like ruin a World Cup for you. Uh, I thought the West Indies were going to be one of those teams. I think I've changed my mind. I think they actually could be quite strong. The West Indies might go close into the uh, into the top four, but Bangladesh appeared to be these um, one of those teams where you know they've got they've got some pretty decent players. As you say, uh, uh, Shakibar Hassan there, he's he's a he's a solid player. He's a good little player. He's a good little player. Mm. Just made that, made that condescending. Um, he's an international cricketer who's doing really good things for a long mm. period of time. Um, oh, he'd, he'd make the um, he'd make the Australian side easily. I mean, he's one of the he's, he's a world class all rounder. I mean, Bangladesh made the final four in the Champions Trophy in 2017. They're a good side. Yeah, okay, uh, right. So uh, you know they've won a few Asia tri series as well. So yeah, I mean, and, and they showed that over the over the weekend. It's still. The, the tournament still is in its early phases enough for it to be difficult to draw kind of conclusions, you know, about stuff. But we are starting to get some context now. Matches are starting to get spicier as a result, you know, which is only a good thing. So yeah, it was it was great to see them when they play, they just played so well. They were out in front and never really let up. I noticed uh, I don't think it's worse for South Africa because I've noticed that uh, Dale Steyn is out of the tournament now. Um, I think this is actually going to be his last tournament anyway, so I'm not going to be seeing any more white ball cricket for Dale Steyn in his career, which is a real shame. But um, <clears throat> Ingedi went off the field as well with a hamstring. Um, uh, therefore, Mac- I think Macram had to bowl a number of overs, which he otherwise mightn't have. So uh, it doesn't uh, doesn't bode well for South Africa in this World Cup. Um, I'm not really sure many people were ex- expecting South Africa to be in the contest, but they, you know, history says that they're, they're they're all thereabouts. But it's going to take it's probably going to take South Africa winning what five six in a row to to get themselves into that fourth spot. I mean, what do you, how many wins do you reckon gets you into the the top four, please? I've listened to a few people talk about this. It's been I think it's been suggested that you'd need minimum five to make the top yeah. four, but even five would presuppose that everyone kind of beats everyone. So you'd want six uh, to... Uh, I'm not even sure six would guarantee it if um, it's the reverse and, you know, the the favourites always win. So I think you'd want seven. I mean, when you, and it's, it's interesting. It makes it a really hard tournament. A friend of mine pointed out to me yesterday that when you look at kind of international winning percentages of cricket teams, they usually... You know, or sports teams in general at the professional level... When you look at really good teams, winning percentages still tend to sit around sort of high 50s, early 60s, you know, when it comes to really good sides. So to need to win six or seven out of ten to just stay in the hunt for the trophy is is asking a lot of sides. But, uh, you know, that's what it's... You know, this is the flip side argument to having some of the associate nations in the tournament. It 
it should theoretically make it all quite close and make a lot of the matches quite meaningful in terms of their context. So, uh, and, and I think we're just starting to see a little bit of that now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is interesting. There's not often that a team will, you know, sweep another team in, a, in mm. an ODI series. I mean, England just did it to Pakistan recently, which we'll come on to now. But, mm. um, you know, if, if there's a five-game series, you know, <laughs> the losing side is probably going to take one or two of those games. And when it's, you know, everyone's playing each other once, it means that everyone can beat everyone. Yeah. And it's really who turns up on the day. It's actually, I mean, I said this in the last podcast, but just that just having the context of a World Cup makes all these games really exciting. Mm. You know, there's absolutely no way mm. that I would have watched, you know, a Bangladesh, South Africa, mm. you know, series, or any of those games in a series in South Africa. But because of the context of the World Cup, you know, it, it, it does make it really interesting. Mm, it does. All and those th- games. But, um, yeah, and thanks to yeah, ICC for sponsoring this cast as well, uh, just for today, because um, <laughs> exactly right. we're um, being exactly very right. praiseworthy. So, Pez, the, the ODI series that uh, preceded this ICC World Cup, uh, friends of the show, mm. uh, <laughs> Pakistan lost four times to England. Yeah. And each time, I think Pakistan's four scores were vaguely in the vicinity of 290, 330, 340 and 350. And they lost every single one of those games because England chased them down easily. So Pakistan went and got 348. Uh, so once again, high score. And they finally managed to defend it. And uh, and England are choking. And are they going to make the finals? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, God. Um, it, whatever happened last... Is is the story of every team? You know, it's like you know, guy hits a ball for four through covers. Well, there's got to be a fielder there. Put the fielder in cover. You know, that's just media. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the internet would be a terrible captain, wouldn't it? <laughs> Mainstream and digital press is a horrible grade grade cricket captain. Um, just to sorry, try, try and improve the joke there and say it poorly. Course, so. Pakistan, yeah, not only that, they, they were on an 11 match losing streak. Now, yeah. And they were last bowled out for 105 <laughs> against the West Indies. We'll yeah. call out, you know, we called this. We called this on the yes. show. Uh, yeah, sure, yes. you might have detected some facetiousness and, or, or sarcasm to it or sitting on the fence. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we definitely called that Pakistan will win this match. Uh, the, the part I loved the most, he goes, was. And there was so much to love about it. I mean, Muhammad Hafiz, player of the match, 84 runs. He's 38. <laughs> He's older than Shane Watson. Mm. Uh, what please come on the cast? I mean, uh, what I've actually over the, in the last couple of days has actually like irrefutably turned down coming onto the show and very politely. <laughs> so, but um, and thank you for that kind call out, Water. But just you know, reconsider. We're friends. Uh, yeah. The part I liked the most, he goes, was. If anyone has the time to watch the highlights, because the highlights in Australian time was at like the the last innings or the last throws of the match were at like three a.m. in Australia. But it's mm-hmm. it's Wahab Riaz who I think last took an ODI wicket in April twenty seventeen heading <laughs> into yeah. this match, yeah. like absolutely steaming in. Uh, Round the wicket, round the wicket, left armers, you know, slinging them in. I just love round the wicket, left arm, fast bowling. I don't know what's at the angle or something, you know, gets my loins going. But he was, you could just hear the grunt and the desperation for victory. It's like, you know, when Pakistan have the bit between their teeth and they're coming at you hard and aggressive, it's a real sight. And he kind of really embodies that spirit. He went for 82. Well, it was three for 82. <laughs> <laughs> But it was the th- it was the the first column that counted most, and uh, 
you could tell Pakistan was just sort of surging towards victory and they wanted it so much. And I just, I just you know, you're meant to retire the word mercurial from Pakistan's lexicon now because it's just overused so much. But it's true. The cliche rings really true. And I just, there's nothing more Pakistan than being on an 11-match losing streak, losing to England four times, failing to defend 340, and then just doing it in the match that mattered. <laughs> it's the most Pakistan thing ever. Mm. Because we, we, we saw the Waha Bria show in... Um, Adelaide against Shane Watson actually funny yes. enough in the last World Cup. Do you remember that spell? It was a really famous uh, spell in again. World Cup history anyway. I don't think he actually got any... He might have got one weekend that spell. Yeah. But it was like it was incredibly exciting watching mm. him bowl. Yeah. Um, so yeah, good to see him get his first weekend in 747 days. Well, since that day, I think, yeah. Yeah, since, since, the since, since that day, exactly. Yeah. Um, a lot of the chat from that game was that England's fielding was poor, and um, that is absolutely on the money. It was really, really ordinary. Mm. Um, Jason Roy had an unusually bad day, just just all up, just all up. He had a really ordinary day, I and mean, he dropped a absolute dolly of a catch, misfielded, missed chance of runouts. Um, he probably started the innings, his batting in his minus 50 going to the crease. Uh, hit a couple of fours, then um, went to sweep a full toss and got out of LBW. So um, good game from Jason. Didn't you? Uh, did you tweet that last night then delete it? Uh, I'm just looking through you. Because your, your your Twitter activity, and like I'll always pump up your social profile. He goes, I mean, your Insta- Instagram stuff yeah. is, uh, you know, well, it's absolutely drool-worthy, to be honest, in terms of your figure you're putting out there. But your, um, your Twitter stuff's quite good too, just from a lyrical point of view. And I saw you weigh, oh, in, I saw you weigh into a data conversation between Freddie Wilde, Ben Jones and Jared Kimber, all friends of the show, actually, yeah. about whether Pakistan, whether England's fielding was indeed the difference. It's an interesting conversation. You should all go into it. But um, Owen Morgan essentially made the point that, you know, had their fielding been better, you know, that their data suggested they'd leaked sort of 15 to 20 runs. And had yeah. that been erased, then England would have won. It's probably quite a one-dimensional view of things, and the data guys picked that up. But I see, it, I see Morgan's point. He's just essentially saying if we kept to our own standards, we'd probably win the game. Um, so yeah, they, yeah, they, they fielded yeah. badly and all that probably means is they won't do that again. <laughs> Sorry to whoever comes <laughs> next. <laughs> They're going to die. I think whoever, uh, whoever they play next is, um, is going to be annihilated. Yeah. It's, um, I was, I was thinking about this, you know, Pakistan knocking over England. And then I started to think about, um, what Ali Martin said, uh, on the show, uh, when was that Sunday night when we recorded it? And he was saying, like, I asked him who did England fear, and I was basically trying to get him to say that um, they all fear Australians, and uh, just just in just in general, not mm. just in the cricketing sense. But he basically mentioned about five or six different teams in the World Cup with that saying Australia. Mm. But what, he, what what was interesting was that he said that um, the West Indies were a team that he feared, or that he, he thought that England mm. feared, because obviously the West Indies did really well against them in a series over in the West Indies, and they're mm. a, you know again a mercurial team in a lot of senses, and, and they can do some damage. And I was thinking like. You know, they've still got to play Australia. So England still have to play Australia. They've got to play India. You know, New Zealand always do well in England. And then they've got to play the West Indies. Is there a chance that they could, you know, you know, uh, sort of struggle to get in? But then uh. I was thinking, like, even if England, even if England finished fourth, they would still be the favourites to, to win the World Cup because, like, how the tournament is structured, it basically comes down to get yourself in the four, then you're two games away, you're two wins away, and if you finish. First, second, third, or fourth—it doesn't really matter, unless you tie a game, I suppose. In which case, you probably go through a la South Africa '99. Mate, I'll, I'm just happily and unwisely prepared to say there's just 
zero chance England will miss out on the top four. They're just oh, they're, yeah. they're yeah. too good. Uh, and yeah. uh, also, that would be disastrous for our UK tour, where tickets are still on sale, actually. Uh, uh, <laughs> especially Leeds, Birmingham, Manchester. Get involved and around them. Um, yeah, yeah I, I think that'll be fine. What was interesting, I think, from an England point of view, two things. Obviously, Joe Root and Joss Butler just played excellently. Uh, both yeah. scored hundreds. Root did the job that he's in the side to do. Butler did the job he's in the side to do as well. Uh, yeah. They were they were irrepressible. I thought one thing that surprised me was Adil Rashid going for forty three yeah. from five overs. He took some tap, and not just not just that he bowled badly. So uh, it and it didn't look like you know as a as a leggy who got the yips at sixteen. I'm, I'm in a great position to analyse this, yeah. but. Um, they look like they were coming out poorly for him as well. So, you know, he's yeah. a real linchpin for their side. And if he he's just such a good bowler. He's in that top tier of kind of mystery, unpickable spinners. If somehow he – and it can happen with leggies, I guess. You know, if he loses something for whatever reason, then they do become a little bit more vulnerable England, you know, to, the, to, to conceding those higher scores and not being able to make too much of a mistake. But he's, he's a class bowler, Rashid. I think he should be in their test side as well. So – um, I'm sure we'll be back. To see what, um, what, what Vish says about England to see if the world's full, uh, you know, the world's caving in over there, the sky's caving in over there, because I, I think we're basically chalking this down to just a bad day at the office. Joffre and none for 79 as well. You don't see, you were not going to say that happen too often. It's almost one of those things where, you know, the bowling performance just didn't, it didn't really click this time, they, but they still had, you know, Butler still got a 75 ball 100. And, um, yeah. I mean, really put the uh, really put the booing of Smith and Warren into perspective when they really they really gave it to Joe Root when he passed the hundred. I tell you, really gave it to him. I do find it um, off-putting. I have to say, like, I would you know I'm sure it's been combed over many times, but uh, yeah. yeah, he he hits a good shot. Sounds like he's you know goes for four. Sounds like he's being booed. Uh, obviously, yeah. they're saying Root. You know, I always thought the same thing about yeah. the the end of a Bruce Springsteen song live. <laughs> Everyone yells Bruce, but it just sounds like he's being, you know, booed voraciously. Uh, it, it mustn't sound that good yeah. for him. I mean, he, you know, granted he's had, you know, a fairly decent career, Bruce Springsteen, but it must be great <laughs> after a while, you know. Thunder Road's a good song. <laughs> Stop. I don't know. Yeah. Do we delete that? I first, no. I first, came, ac- I first came across it... Uh, I first came across it when I went to an AFL game and Paul Ruse was playing. And I was about, I was about, how old would I have been? Mm. Maybe ten or eleven or something like that. Went to the SCG. Paul Ruse gets the ball, just absolutely mm. giving it to him. I was so confused. Yeah. Um, anyway, Smith and Warner couldn't. Mm. Uh, you know, they should, they should really put that into perspective. I had the same thing um, with Adrian Tool from the North Sydney Bears reserve grade. Anyway, that was in the sort of early nineties. <laughs> same, same thing. Tool, exactly the same, same thing. Same thing. Joe Root's experiencing now. Adrian Tool. Exactly. <laughs> Pez, I watched uh, the 16th and 17th fourth grade sides for uh, the West, West Australia yeah. uh, Great Cricket Association match last night. They, they, they changed the team's names to Afghanistan and Sri Lanka. You're hot on this, aren't you? you you're carrying a lot of emotion into this uh, fixture, Afghanistan and Sri Lanka. I don't last know why night. I care so much, mate. Mm. I was trying to think about it. I was like, why am I so angry about watching this? But this, uh, let me tell you, mate, the standard of this game was absolutely dreadful. I mean, like... <laughs> The fundamental skills of these guys, obviously, they're obviously international cricketers. Let's mm-hmm. you know, let's not get too carried away. But I'm talking about just the, just the one percenters. One percenters being like being able to pick a ball up and throw it in from the boundary. The amount of times like blokes just like falling over, like misfeeling, going to throw the ball and it like they're like releasing it at the hip, so it kind of goes behind them. That happened like seven times. There was like overthrows, no one backing up. Um, there was there was even a point in, in the Afghanistan batting innings where there was like a forward defence down the ground. Uh, Malinga went to like go around from uh, from mid on. He slipped over. I don't know sure who was coming from mid off, but he also uh, mistimed his 
uh, slide to go and get it. He fell over the ball, and then Angelo Matthews basically kicked it into the rope. And it was like, what am I watching? <laughs> it was just really bizarre. Um, Afghanistan started their bowling innings just awfully. I mean, they were terrible with the ball. Sri Lanka hardly played a good shot, and they were going at 10 and over for the first eight overs. And then all of a sudden, uh, Muhammad Nabi comes on with his absolutely and literally nude off-spin bowling 75-kilometer-hour balls, and he took three wickets in an over. All of a sudden, pandemonium hits. Sri Lanka lose four for six in 13 deliveries. Um, and they were on the ropes, Sri Lanka. I mean, they were cruising at, like, one for 140, and then they were they were eight for 160, something like that, 170. And then the rain came, and it sort of, um, it sort of saved them a little bit. And then... Uh, you know, then Malinga came on and bought some Yorkers, and it was uh, it was all too much for Afghanistan. But uh, I got to tell you, like it wasn't it wasn't a great advertisement for having the Associate Nations in the World Cup, unless you know, unless you throw it up and like like FIFA wouldn't have a forty eight team World Cup next time round in Qatar. Um, but but I, I don't know, mate. It wasn't it wasn't great cricket. But, um, but you know, I still watched it and uh, had two bottles of wine and uh, got on Twitter and uh, started tweeting out some stuff. So you know, oh, good night. I think some of your best content uh, in the sixty four podcast we've done. Listen, it's it's <laughs> the way you reported that to start contrast to my notes, which is new one Pradeep took a career best four for thirty one in Sri Lanka, fought back to beat <laughs> Afghanistan in a tense rain affected match in Cardiff. <laughs> There's um, there's nothing quite Two so thoughts. emotional as like um, an an ex Australian grade cricketer getting offended at poor skills at international <laughs> exactly. level. Like it's the way Australians kind of take in perhaps like a lower level match. Like it's a it's a fence yeah. that that we feel yeah. when fundamental skills aren't there. And I don't know if like the you know the armchair psychologist in me is like is part of your offence. He goes that guys are, have been able to play on TV and make it as international cricketers when we just got drilled on fielding so much at grade cricket that we wouldn't be allowed to make the mistakes the guys are making. So you go, how? You know, you're on. You're opening your second bottle of Penfolds. You yeah. know, and you're just going, how are these? How are these fucks out of here? Doing this? Is that? Is that? Is that what's going on? I, th- I think so. Mm. I, I was literally, I was literally watching, and I was like, "Why am I so angry watching this?" I was trying, and then I was trying to think, like, I was trying to think, my fucking Victoria would, Victoria would be better than Afghanistan. Like, they deserve to win this World Cup. Where's Cameron? Oh, Victoria, Where's- Victoria had the final four. Yeah, I mean, Victoria would probably beat Australia if you ask Victoria. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's mm. true. But I was, I was like, I, I have obviously watched a lot of great cricket in my time, and there's like. I don't see first graders making these mistakes. You know, like fundamentally, like they're, they're not bowling and, and probably batting as well as, as what they do. But it's just, it, was, it was as much the execution of the skills, which I was like, I would be upset if I was watching a first grade game and these mistakes were happening. It was just upset. so... I, exactly. And then I was like, why do I care so much? Why do I need this? What's going on with me? Um, uh, but then I got over that and I'm hung over this morning. Um, <laughs> no, I like it. At, at, at 5am doing a cricket podcast. Uh, let's quickly talk about India, South Africa. So Stain yes. is out uh, forever. Um, and yes. I haven't seen a lot of conversation <laughs> about India's like sort of headlining later start in the tournament. It's kind of like the headline act playing the Sunday mm-hmm. night at a festival, you know, a five-day music same festival thing. or something. It's exactly the same thing. I've always said that. Yep. Uh, apparently it's because they're, they're afforded a break due to IPL commitments the last time I checked. There are a number of players and other teams who also played in the IPL. Uh, it makes yes. it a shorter tournament for them. I don't know. You know, I've, obviously they have more. They've got to cram some cricket into that. But it's just there it seems to be an interesting mm. silence about that. Why? Seems yeah. unequitable to me. But anyway, 
Uh, they'll come out. And it, it, I mean, I have to say, though, it feels like the World Cup will, will feel like it's really started, I think, when India takes the field. You know, they, they still just bring, you know, huge, a huge number of fans behind them and, you know, a huge level of that sort of rock star element with Coley, et cetera. Yeah. It, yeah. It's not looking good for South Africa, is it? They, they, like, no. I don't know if the media's sort of portrayed this or whatnot, but there's something creaky about their side. And I wouldn't have thought that heading into the tournament. They absolutely no. dusted Australia at the start of our summer and they looked like a great side, you know, and they didn't look old or, or creaky. I mean, you had, like, you know, David Miller, was doing the business, uh, Quinton de, Quinton de Kock, Faf Duplessis, obviously that you know Stain is out, but in, in Gidi, Rabada, Peflaquayo, you know Imran mm. to here, what, what's the problem? <laughs> you know, exactly. but but now exactly. now they, now they look like they're sort of they're all a year or two past it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't have much to add other than that. I think mm. you're exactly right. I mean, you look at the team on paper and it's like it's a good team. Mm. It's a good team. But then you watch them, you watch them, and it's like, oh, that. These guys aren't great. This is, yeah. I, I, uh, no great sure. shakes. I mean, no great shakes, Pez, mm. but it doesn't make me angry. I, mm. I can't, I can't <laughs> yeah. do that. You respect their skills. Exactly. Yeah. Just Fab's rig, I think. Yeah. Um, Pez, Australia and the West Indies is also a cricket match yep. happening it's cricket um, match. before our next podcast, uh, which we should talk about. I, I think it's a really great opportunity. I think this is going to be a great game for a start. Mm. I, I think the West Indies, are, are, I think people are sleeping on the West Indies, Pez. They're sleeping on them. Mm, okay. And I think that it's going to be a great game. Uh, and I think that if Australia can do it, they can start to get a real momentum into this World Cup. I'm looking at Australia's fixtures coming up. So it's, the next two games are the West Indies and India. So India have quite a hard start to the to the World Cup because I think they also play England um, quite early as well. Right. But if Australia beat the West Indies, uh, they will play India. Then the next three games after that are Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh. Now you would suggest that Australia if they're to do anything in this World Cup, should be taking three from three there. Now, if they beat the West Indies, that's already five wins. Mm. Uh, they obviously play India in between. And then Australia finished quite difficult. Uh, they, they play England, New Zealand and South Africa the last three games. Um, so this West Indies game, I feel like, is actually a really pivotal one. And I'm not sure if there's a good and bad time to play teams in this World Cup. I feel like it's kind of a, a match-to-match thing. I, I don't know how much form comes into mm. it. Um, I, I think Australia's form overall the last probably six months has been quite good. But I just feel like this is a really big game for Australia in, in, the, in the tournament sense. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When you start doing X's and O's and uh, penciling in wins, I think that's problematic, <laughs> you know, because like... Uh, I've already done it. Uh, but you've already done it, so erase what I said, uh, everybody in your own minds. Yeah, I mean, Australia, Australia should go in favourites, I suppose. But like we've said, the tournament hasn't been going long enough to know who's who in the zoo. <laughs> like, uh, what, what does West Indies win against a hapless, a, a then hapless Pakistan mean? Yeah. Who knows? And, we, we, you know, the West, they'll turn up against Australia, I think, the West Indies. You know, they'll, they'll want to make a real mark. You know, for both sides, it's the chance to be the first team to win two games in the tournament and to kind of really solidify themselves as a player. So, yeah, who knows? I'm, I'm, I agree. I think it could be a really good game. I'm just watching Australia against Afghanistan, I think Dave made the point that we wanted a complete, do- a completely dominant victory to bowl them out for 30 and to get them in the first <laughs> over, uh, which didn't happen. I don't know. Yeah, like I said, uh, there's there's question marks over, over Australia's bowling, I think, once he gets past Cummins and Stark. It'll be interesting to see if he go- if Langer goes for the same side. 
and I think the best thing going for Australia following the Afghanistan match was was Aaron Finch's uh, the way Aaron Finch hit the ball. You know, so yeah, there's there's a lot to see. There's a, there's a lot to find out about where Australia is at. You know, like I've said, I'm not sure their winning streak heading into the tournament should be read into too much. So, um, you know, that could. What I'm saying is, I've got no idea how good Australia are. They could be actually quite poor, or they could be doing really well. So, cheers uh, to the uh, to the audience listening. <laughs> Baz, before we get um, Vish on the phone, uh, just a word on Joe Burns. Who news came out yesterday that he has uh, gone home from his stint in Lancashire. I think he was playing in. Yeah. Uh, he's got a fatigue. Disorder, and he's been struggling with for the last eight months or so. Apparently, <clears throat> excuse me. So, um, first of all, really, uh, really, really tough to hear that about mm. Joe Burns. Uh, word around the traps is one of the nicer guys going around in Australian cricket circles, and he's obviously on the cusp of Ashes selection, um, which is probably a smaller thing given um, you know just his overall health and well-being. Uh, obviously, it takes first precedence, but. Um, um, not not great news for either Joe Burns or Australia. I guess, yeah, I guess not. It's hard to. It's apparently that this uh, what he has is some is related or some kind of cousin of chronic fatigue that he's that he's had for a while. There were a lot of articles about it in Australia uh, overnight that seemed to kind of contain a uh, like an alarm to it that seemed to be different from the statement that Queensland cricket and Joe Burns put out, which was. It's sort of highly stressed that he'll be returning to competitive cricket very soon. So uh, you're right, he goes, his health is more important than his cricket, though it was quite heartening to hear that uh, in no uncertain terms he would be playing cricket soon, which I presume means that he would like to still be considered for the Ashes because he's the incumbent opener for Australia. Yes. And, I, you know, I know we're looking too far ahead there, but it, I, I do think it's a three-way race between him, Harris, and um, Cam Bancroft, who I think will figure in selection. So <clears throat> uh, just to make it even more dramatic to, to have Bancroft back and just have... <laughs> if England fans will have to dress up in threes now um, when they dress yeah. up as sandpaper, so yeah. <laughs> exactly. Mm, sorry, I had to exactly. get that in. Um, well, best wishes to Joe Burns, obviously. Mm, if, and, he's uh, and if, if he's listening. If he's listening, and uh, yeah, come on the show. Um, all right, uh, Vatushin Hatharaja up next, and then we'll be answering your questions. Hashtag AskTGC. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. It shouldn't have taken this long to get Batush and Ahantaraja onto the Great Cricketer podcast, the World Cup special, that is. He's the English correspondent for Crick Buzz and the best follow on social media if you do like cricket. We're going to ask him about that later. How do you do all the memes and the Final Cup pros and all that sort of shit? Anyway, but he is a writer first and foremost, and he joins us from London now. Vish, g'day. G'day. Thank you for having me on. I think it's been a couple of years since I last closed your podcast. Yeah, well, let's not go into it, but it's essentially you turning yeah. it down rather than um, us not asking. Um, that's neither here nor there because we're on air now. Uh, England, you're covering them. You're following them around, uh, you know, some wild reactions to their loss to Pakistan. Uh, you know, obviously they've, they, they've dropped the World Cup. This is Herschel Gibbs-esque, uh, presumably. Mm. You know, can you give any sense of calmness or, or safety or hope, you know, to the English faithful that follow this show? 45% of English fans, actually. Yes. 
Um, no, no, this is this is the end. Um, I don't know if you saw, but <laughs> Trump landed in in the UK um, about twenty four hours ago, and and that was when it all went south for England. So, yeah, I, mean, I, I wouldn't say hanging's too good for them. But it is something that you should consider. Um, no, to be honest, in all seriousness, I think they're. I think this is it's almost the perfect result, really, because that you know that typical English mindset of, of fearing the worst. You know, England lose their second game of the World Cup, and it kind of tempers expectation a little bit. And and on, I suppose on the cricket side, just highlights a few things that they do need to sort out. I think we uh, against South Africa, England. Uh, there's basically a metric that the England backroom staff measure fielding through, and it, it's pretty it's pretty scratchy to be honest. But through that metric, they found that England had fielded the best they had in in any ODI or something like that, and then they follow it up by basically stinking out the plays against Pakistan. So just as they were getting a little bit too cocky, something brought them back down to earth. Um, so yeah, just to, to go back and answer your question, yeah, we're we're doomed. <laughs> Can I just, just follow up on this um, fielding metric thing we mentioned earlier on the show? Saw the interesting conversation between a couple of the guys on Twitter about this, and you know whether you can actually measure fielding objectively or subjectively. I guess my question to you is. Um, you know, there was a there was some overthrows courtesy of Joe Root at one point. You know, buzzers, if you will, and everyone has to say buzzers. I mean, while it conceded four extra runs, you know, what's the psychological component? How do you measure the psychological um, effect of buzzers? You know, it's got to be more than four runs, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and someone has to shout buzzers, and, and you have to hear it because you know, just for the just for the full effect. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because um, I, I don't know if you if you talked about kind of the the method behind it, but it's it, it's fairly primitive, and a lot of um, I suppose collecting data on fielding is is quite primitive because it basically just goes by that how many runs you give away. So, you know, if you're if you're a bit slack in the ring and you you give away a single, you're negative one, and you know if you misfield on the boundary and it goes through your legs and they were running two and you could have stopped four, that's obviously you're you're negative two as well. But then you can make it up by taking amazing catches. So mm. um, this is going to be really boring, sorry. But the mm. they worked out basically that the average um, amount of runs for an ODI wicket is 12. And so when you take a catch, they rank it from uh, whether you've got a 5% chance of, of catching it all the way to 95%. And then determining that percentage, you can then times that by 12 runs. And that's the amount of runs you've saved basically by pulling off that catch. So for example... That Ben Stokes catch that went viral off, um, you know, in the South Africa game, that was ranked as like a 95%, so, so, sorry, a 5% chance of, of doing it. So he saved them 95% of the 12 runs of that particular wicket, which was 11.4 or something like that. Um, so that's how <laughs> they do it. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty rough. Um, mm. And, you know, to some people who would have heard that, they probably would say it was bollocks as well. But mm. for now, it's, it's something they use. And I suppose because because international teams use it, that's probably the reason that we should use it because until there's anything better, it's it's kind of all we've got. Visha, is there any sense at all that England might change tact. Obviously, they they came into this game making it very clear they want to chase. These guys just love to chase down runs. They obviously chased uh, massive scores four times in the uh, in the previous four games against Pakistan, where they chased down two ninety and, and and all the way up to three fifty. Um, in this game against Pakistan, Butler's whacked a hundred off seventy five balls. Joe Root scored a hundred as well. So two guys have got hundreds in a losing side, and. Uh, 
And is there any sense at all that, they, that runs on the board batting first might be the way to go forward? Um, I'd say no, purely because, you know, the real strength of this England side is in their batting. And the reason they've been so successful uh, over, you know, I think this was the first game that they've lost chasing since um, September 2015, um, certainly the first one at home. And I, th- I think what you what you saw in that game, when you, when you saw, I suppose Archer hasn't, you know, Archer hasn't been part of that ODI side through this time, but obviously, you know, he's 10 overs going for 79. Adil mm-hmm. Rashid gets hit out of the attack. And what you realise is if you actually pick away at some of those games where England have pulled off these um, these chases, it's because, you know, they, they basically covered the bowling because the bowling has always been something that has been a worry. Yeah. Aside from Chris Wokes, who's a reliable new ball bowler, and then Moe Ali, he'd say, is someone is, is as valuable as Josh, or Josh Butler in terms of knowing what you're going to get from him. You're going to get 10 overs. You might not get many, very many wickets, but you're, you know, he's never really going to go to them for more than 50. Um, and I suppose you would also say Ali Rashid was that bowler as well, but evidently Pakistan went after him and it could have been a bit different had um, Jason Roy not shelled an absolute sitter against Mohamed Afiz. I think he, I think that was on 14. He ended up getting 84 off not very many balls. Um, so I, I'd say no. I, I'd, it might depend against the team. They might come up against a team who they fancy their chances and they might think, well, well, why don't we just tee off against them and just, just bat them out of the game completely and then wouldn't necessarily need to take 10 wickets. We can just, you know, let the game peter out in the second innings. But I think for now, you know, they've got Bangladesh at Cardiff on um, on Saturday. It's a small ground. And I think, you know, if Owen Morgan wins a toss, he'll, he'll stick them in and uh, maybe get a bit more confidence back after after that blow against Pakistan. Vish, mm. you're, you're demonstrating your deep and thorough knowledge of the game. I'd like to move it to lighter areas if possible. Uh, I understand that there has been an effort to appropriate the famous uh, England football song, Football's Coming Home, uh, into a, a cricket context. I've seen Jesus some reactions fuck, from you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen some reactions from you to this. Uh, you know, for those who aren't aware, it's just a famous song that well, originated in Euro 96, I believe. Is that right? Yes, uh, that's right. Yeah, in in football terms, but it's now been appropriated to cricket terms. Um, can you just walk us through what, what this is uh, and the skip, uh, the, the, the bin fire that this project is? <laughs> so uh, I suppose maybe a little bit of history, really, because English cricket has this knack of, of trying to do things that other people... will try to do things that, that are cool, but were cool like, you know, five years ago. For example... You know, people people are only just starting to floss in English cricket now. <laughs> you know, people people were dabbing in 2015. You know, like it, cricket is. I suppose not just English cricket, but cricket is so late to these trends, and it, and they always try to appropriate other people's things. Maybe it's, it's part of the um, part of the, the rich history of the British Empire within the game. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> and take what they can. But yeah, so basically after the after the game at the Oval against South Africa, you know they started playing it through, and you know we're, we're all filing at the time, and I'm listening to it and just think, God, why are they playing footballs coming home? Only it wasn't footballs coming home because, because obviously it's cricket as well, and everyone's cheap, and you probably couldn't buy the rights to it. So they've re-recorded a version, which is Cricket's Coming Home, and they've changed the lyrics. And, I mean, thank God the speakers at the Oval are pretty shouts because I couldn't really pick up what the lyrics were. 
But mm. I'm, I'm going to make it my, you know what I'm saying, I'm going to make it my life's work to find out, you know, not not just the lyrics, but who thought that was a good idea and and why it's a thing. Because, yeah, it, it ruined, it completely ruined the moment because it was such a great, you know, it was such a great atmosphere because, you know, Ben Stokes takes that catch at the end and England win and it looked like South Africa were going to take it away from them. They needed to start the tournament well and mm. everyone was happy and then, oh God, yeah, someone dropped that. And, and just to follow up, um, the Secretary of State for, uh, I believe it is Health and Social Care, Matt Hancock uh, in the UK, in, in um, the UK posted as well, uh, yeah. saying England cricket, give me a call if Ben Stokes is unavailable, oh. and it's video. It's forty three seconds of him playing office cricket oh. uh, with all of his staff around to look um, extremely excited to be there. And he's just playing these horrifically bad shots, but he's doing it with a real earnestness. Mm. Um, mm. That, he's yeah, like he's actually. I'm just watching it now. He's actually really smashing the ball through the office while his uh, staff is sort of standing. <laughs> he plays a. Yeah. Um, he ends up playing a, a reverse sweep leave. Then he starts bowling as though he learned. Mm. He, he was at about age three with yeah. his technique there. Can you just walk yeah. us through Matt Hancock? Oh, he's taking a one-handed catch here as well. Just walk us through the Matt Hancock video. Uh, <laughs> section, is, is he going to also sell the NHS? Um, I suppose there's two, there's two questions there, really, isn't there? So um, I suppose to talk about the video, what's, what's interesting is because when you watch it the first time, you assume that the other people are standing around as fielders, but they're not. They're just standing around watching this, this madman, <laughs> you know, play reverse leaves. And, yeah, I mean, that, that's just another example. Just, like, just do your jobs. Just do your jobs. <laughs> leave, like, just leave cricket alone just for a moment. It's, oh. the, one that, you know, the one thing I did have, um, I, I, I did have some begrudging respect for was the fact that, you know what, if I, if I was in that position, I would absolutely bat for as long as I wanted. And <laughs> Just actually have a, like a three-hour video on Twitter of just scoring a hundred as a secretary of state and social care. The secretary. Of state yeah, exactly. Secretary that probably went, that probably they probably played for most of the day. He just put together his highlights and put them out there and fair play to him. It's a show reel. He's put together a show reel. Mm. Yeah, it's the yeah. most David Brent thing I've ever seen. Just I blame. Oh yeah, love absolutely. Cricket. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay, Vish. Well, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Hopefully, uh, it's not the last time this World Cup. You know, please be available when I get in touch with you next time uh, to to chat. But uh, we've got plenty more episodes. We'd love to hear from you, especially as England deep in their way into the tournament. Uh, Vatushna Hantharaja, English correspondent for Crick Buzz. Cheers, boys. Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yeah. It's got a high-res 120 hertz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. Hashtag RTGC. Um, I just just automatically want to uh, plug shows to all about mm. uh, to our world tour, uh, which probably is ne- not necessary because mm. people listening to this podcast already know the deal. But you know the world tour is happening. I just want to keep calling it a world tour. Uh, Greatcricketer.club for all tickets all over the world: Sydney, Melbourne, London, London, Manchester, Leeds, and Birmingham. Not in that order, uh, but you get the gist. Greatcricketer.club. 
Danny Saeed kicks off hashtag RCGC today and he says, Dear hashtag RCGC, I recently wrote in acclaimed Sydney University student publication Oni Swa about the role of toxic masculinity in Sandpaper Gate and in the process managed to get the phrase modern ubiquity of champ culture published. I highly recommend you read it, mostly because it would give me a sense of validation my father never did. With this in mind, my question is whether the obsession with the alphadom has in fact perpetuated the toxic male athlete stereotype that we as inner city beaters uh, with progressive politics strive to avoid, and as such, whether bouncers, rigs and chat are now cancelled. Um, well, they'll never be cancelled. Um, that's one thing we've well thanks for the question Danny Saeed and um, there's just yeah you've, you're hitting a lot of great areas there as well Oniswar is a very it is an acclaimed Sydney University publication Danny's put it in inverted commas but I'm actually looking at Danny's author index and he's written some very interesting pieces that I'm going to look at now and they're well illustrated too uh, the question is okay. is the obsession with alphadom um, has that perpetuated the toxic male athlete stereotype that we inner city beaters with progressive politics strive to avoid? Well, yes. Like, in in short, without a <laughs> doubt, the toxic male athlete stereotype. I mean, yeah, like alphadom. Alphadom is everywhere. We get so many questions in our, like, various inboxes yeah. that are asking us to confirm... Yeah that something this person has done is alpha or something someone else has done is alpha. And uh, you don't want to kind of break the fourth wall on this stuff. But, like, many people who listen to this podcast um, leave of the view that that alpha is what you need to strive for. And you know what he goes, I mean, let's go deep. It works, doesn't it? You know, you get access to things being alpha. You're yeah. trusted as an alpha. Sometimes, I'll, you know, might meet a professional athlete and I think... Yeah. This bloke would trust me more if I had a stronger chest. <laughs> and I don't, you know, or, I mean, why are so many CEOs or presidents just, you know, like, why are they big? Everyone, why do we, we trust, you know, on a biological level, we trust size and strength. And it, it denies access to yeah. many people who don't, you know, possess that. And I'm going into gender relations now. But especially mm. in, in sporting mm. circles, you know, it's just so safe to be alpha. You know, it's like, uh, you know, there's that book that's out there, like the, um, yes. uh, what's it called? It's something about the power of introverts as well. Like like introverts have to work really hard to okay. get influence in corporate life or work life. Uh, you know, the, the alpha king kind of still rules the societal jungle. But I do think he's suffering a little bit. You know, he's, he doesn't rule it as much as he used to. <laughs> Yeah, well, do you, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't think I don't think we're changing anything. I just think we just highlight we've just brought into certain circles the just awareness mm. of alpha dynamics. But we've have, have no, made no effort mm. to change these well, things, other than just just poke fun of it. And people might think that you know mm. we only ever read out alpha questions, but we only read mm. out probably about thirty percent of the just, questions that just, come in. Well, um, just quickly, so, just, know, just our bounces, insight. rigs, and chat cancelled. Look, no, I mean. Like, uh, oh, I did no. a piece with Guardian the other day, and the, the I, I described that Australia's, like, old regime under Lehman as, like, a, a hawkish old-school alpha kingdom. And, like, there's no doubt that Cricket Australia are, uh, like, trying to steer away from that a little bit, and they've kind of acknowledged, and, like, even Tim Payne said, our players just don't... And, and George Bailey had a great story about this as well, you know, where Darren Lehman, like, wanted them all in South Africa to 
when they were getting their asses handed to them, as it was mm. described to me, um, wanted them all to um, stand up and talk about how they need to play as Australians. And according to the story that I got, George Bailey, who was a senior player, stood up and said, like, I, I think we need to beat them on skill. And it's not what Lehman wanted him to say, <laughs> um, according to my source. So <clears throat> immediately I asked Matt Wade what he thought. <laughs> Wade said, we've got to get into them verbally, you know, take the contest to them. And Bailey, Bailey was dropped uh, two months later. <laughs> um, you know, and Cricket Australia, like, they, they don't have the personalities, like, to, to kind of talk the way they do. They have changed. Like, the, the, the side has changed. So I think, you know, like Darren Hamlin said in his song, Punk's Not Dead, She's Just Gone to Bed. Alphas aren't dead, but they're taking a rest. Mm. Uh, there'll still be bounces, rigs, and chat, but it's just a bit uh, on a slippier scale. They'll, they'll be back. Yeah, it'll be back. There'll be a turn, you know. And, we'll, and we'll... mate, I've got to tell you, like, you know, if, if bounces, rigs, and chat are cancelled, you know, I, as a guy who spends a lot of time in the gym and has a podcast, <laughs> that's, that's bad. News. Let's do. Let's do one more. He goes because we're. Uh, I'm definitely rabbiting on Mike Dunn. Sure. Right. Uh, to whom it may concern. <laughs> He's just written up. <laughs> um, my dad first came to one of my games when I was nine, playing under 13s. Okay. Uh, he only came to pick me up, but read the scorecard and told me I should never get bold, which obviously I had. The second time was 25 years later. And his dad said, I was driving past, so I dropped in. He complimented me on my bowling, which I gleefully accepted. Didn't dare tell him I was keeping wickets that day. Now I'm playing alongside this millennial prodigy whose dad has never missed him train, let alone play. I love the grade cricketer, he says. Makes me wild. How do I approach him about the fact he has no rights to be enjoying what is akin to therapy for most of us? <laughs> Great question. <laughs> love it. Well, I like that, that Mike is the arbiter of what this guy has uh, the right to enjoy. Uh, first, first of all, you have no right. You have no right to enjoy this. It's incredible. Uh, I like that. Uh, I mean, Sean Tate mentioned on the podcast the other day. If you haven't listened to that uh, that chat, I'd be surprised if you haven't. Uh, if you listen to this one, but, um, but yeah, it's a it, really interesting chat mm. and uh, a really very funny guy, Sean as well. Um, but he was saying how his first grade training, his dad was there just watching him train. And it just reminded me there are those guys. Often the they are often the junior prodigy, and their parents will come to watch because the father especially is living heavily vicariously uh, through this, you know, this spawn that they've created. This is their golden ticket. Uh, not necessarily saying that's what Sean happened to Sean, but uh, that's what I am saying uh, is happening here with uh, Mike Dunn's uh, junior prodigy that he's playing alongside. This father's living vicariously mm-hmm. through his very talented son, um, I love the great <laughs> Yeah, you can't enjoy it. Wild. You know, you can't um, enjoy it if you're actually a, a present yeah. father. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, or a present son. You don't get it. Nah. Uh, you absolutely don't get it. There, there's that deeper level. But, you know, there's something for everybody here, guys. Yeah, that's true. There's something for everyone. And hopefully there's a win for Australia oh, when they take on the West seamless. Indies in the next match. Uh, we'll be sp- Our next podcast comes out Friday morning, Australia time, Thursday night, UK time. Not sure what time in Malaysia that, that, uh, mm. that equates. So we're still running with that joke, see if anything comes of it uh, eventually. Hopefully uh, three live shows. Um, but... Uh, uh, so we'll be we'll be uh, reacting to Australia's uh, 343 run loss to the West Indies uh, on Friday morning. So do tune in then. Thank you very much to Vatushan Hantharaja for, tu- uh, for for calling in uh, to the show. Thanks to Sam Perry in Melbourne. We'll see you next time.